Well, friends, good evening. Let me warmly welcome you to our service of worship here, whether you're in the church or joining us online. We pray that together we'll know God's blessing as we come around his word. Well, friends, let's worship God together. Let's sing to his praise from Psalm 34, the Sing Psalms version on page 40, reading at the beginning of the psalm. At all times I will bless the Lord, I'll praise him with my voice. Because I glory in the Lord, let troubled souls rejoice. Together let us praise the Lord, exalt his name with me. I sought the Lord, his answer came from fears, he set me free. We'll stand to sing, if you're able, verses 1 to 10 to God's praise. At all times I will bless the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious and all-powerful God, we thank you for the words that we have sung one with another at this time, words of encouragement, words of reminder that for those who seek the Lord, we will not lack any good. 
And as we come together for this evening out of worship, we seek to know what it is afresh to sense the light of your countenance upon us, that you would shine your face on us, that you would be pleased to reveal yourself to us. We acknowledge that without you we can do nothing, that without your Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us, our gathering together is in vain. And so we pray that in a very real way we might know what it is to hear the voice of God. And we thank you that you are a God who, although infinite, eternal and unchangeable, you are yet a God who reveals himself to feeble creatures such as we are. You accommodate us. You accommodate us by revealing yourself to us in words that we can understand. You have accommodated us by becoming one of us and dying for us. What a wonder it is that God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, from all eternity would choose to condescend in such a way. But yet we know that behind it all is your infinite, eternal and unchangeable love. Behold, what manner of love is this that the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And we pray that for all of us gathered here this evening that indeed would be our testimony that we would be numbered amongst your children, that we would not rest, that we would not be content until we know you, not only in our heads, but in our hearts, until we can call you our Saviour, until we can say, He died for me. And as we reflect upon the wonder of the cross, that sacrificial act of love, we pray that even this evening, we might be stirred up afresh. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive us for the many times, even in the week that has gone by, that we have taken our eye off you, that we have not allowed the main thing to be the main thing, or that you would be high and lifted up in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in all that we seek to do and be that you would be at the centre, for you are worthy. You are worthy of praise and adoration. Your word tells us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, which is a reasonable act of worship, to give our all to the one who died and gave himself for us. We know that we falter, we fail for that. We seek forgiveness for the many sins that we commit, the many times we transgress your law in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. Forgive us, we pray, and grant unto us uh, the, a, a true and a right spirit of repentance that we might find ourselves turning our back by your grace with the help of your spirit upon that which cost you so much and that we would indeed have that thirst and hunger after righteousness, that we would be filled, that we would be filled even with an outpouring of your Spirit in a day of revival and renewal. How we long, O Lord, to see a great and powerful manifestation of your work here on earth. We find ourselves in a day where we see so few conversions, so few tokens of your grace, and so we pray, O oh Lord, that you might be pleased to, to come and to reveal yourself mightily, not for our glory, but so that your name all the more might be high and lifted up. We pray for North Keswick. We pray for this whole area that this congregation serves, that you might work powerfully in your own time as our dear friends here seek to in the ordinary every day, 
share something of the good news of the gospel, even especially by loving their neighbour as their self. Help us to do that. Help us, O Lord, to not look down on the unsaved from our own ivory towers of self-righteousness, but rather that we would be as one beggar to another, showing them where to get food and what food there is to be found in Christ, a feast of good things, that which satisfies the deepest longings and desires of our soul, all to be found in you. And so even in the week that lies ahead, we pray for opportunities that you would give unto us a boldness, not of ourself, a boldness to speak the truth in love, to point even one dear soul to the fountain of living water that is our Lord and Saviour, so that they too can draw with joy from the wells of salvation. We pray for the young folk in our congregation here. We give thanks for them. We give thanks for the little dolphins as well, that great opportunity to reach out into this community, that you might be pleased to bless it, that as these mothers and toddlers come to this place, that what they see and experience might remain with them, that something of the fragrance of Christ would be known from your dear servants here, so that those who come along see something in them that is different, something that is otherworldly, something even of the love of God in Christ, causing them also to have that desire to come see a man who told them all things ever they did, that they too would join here in this building and sit under the glorious good news of the gospel, and that they and their children and their families might be touched with that heavenly dew, and that we might see here days of revival and renewal, whereby men and women, boys and girls, are compelled to come in and worship your name. We know, Lord, that you are a great God. You are able to do all things. And so forgive us for the fact that we expect so little from such a great and powerful God. We are not deserving of such a visitation. We acknowledge that. But yet we come and we plead not our own merits, our own worthiness or righteousness, which your word tells us are as filthy rags in your sight. We come rather leaning upon the finished work of Christ, upon the one who kept that law perfectly for us, the one who died so that we might live. We pray for our nation, our first minister, our prime minister. We pray for our king, all those over us in government in various ways, both locally and nationally. We long, O Lord, to see days where once again righteousness would exalt a nation. We pray that you might be pleased to bring to power those who lean not on their own understanding, but rather those who trust in the Lord. And we give thanks for those who already serve you in this way, in whatever sphere. And we pray that as they seek to witness, that you would bless their witness, and that even uh, many more would come and draw their wisdom from the fountain of all wisdom himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for our leaders worldwide also, as we see nation rising up against nation, how we long for peace, and we know that all that can bring this peace to pass is the power of the hand of God himself. But yet we are so aware of the greatest warfare of all, that warfare which uh, is taking place even perhaps in the hearts of some gathered here today, that warfare of not knowing you, that warfare of resisting you. O Lord, help us not to resist, but rather as we sit under your word, that our hearts would soften by it, that they would not harden, but rather that they would soften so that any unconverted friends here today would know that peace, 
that passes understanding. Be with us then, we ask, and forgive us for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, friends, let's continue singing to God's praise. Psalm 103 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 103. Reading at the beginning of the psalm. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord, and all that in me is, be stirred up his holy name to magnify and bless. We'll stand to sing verses 1 to 5 if you're able. O thou my soul, bless God the Lord. Friends, let's turn now together to read the Word of God from the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark and chapter 15. We'll read the whole chapter together. Let us hear God's Word. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. 
But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passer-by, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. And come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There, was also, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when the evening had come, since it was a day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. 
And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Amen. We pray God's blessing on his own holy, inspired and inerrant word. Friends, before we come back to that chapter together, let's sing once more. Psalm 73. Scottish Psalter version of Psalm 73, reading at verse 24. Thou with thy counsel while I live wilt me conduct and guide, and to thy glory afterward receive me to abide. Whom have I in the heavens high but thee, O Lord, alone? And in the earth whom I desire, besides thee there is none. We'll stand to sing to the end of the psalm to God's praise, Thou with thy counsel while I live.
friends, let's turn back now to the chapter that we read together, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. We can read verses 33 to 39. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn, torn in two, from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man is the Son of God. And I'd like us to focus on the words that we have in verse 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is a chapter that I'm sure many, if not most of us, have read countless times. Here we have, of course, that account of the pearl of great price, if you like, shining brightly in the darkness of the world as Christ died and gave himself for us. But as we read through chapters, narratives such as these, sometimes we can miss some of the smallest of details. And sometimes, friends, it's the smallest of details in Scripture that speak the loudest truths. Details that might seem strange to us, or irrelevant to us, or details that are just so familiar to us that we don't pay them much attention. Our text tonight is no exception. Many of us here, I'm sure, have been brought up hearing of the veil of the temple being rent in two, being torn in two. But why, why does this detail punctuate the Calvary narrative? Why is it significant? Why has the Lord chosen to reveal this detail to us? Now, to unpack this, we're going to consider what we have here, just under two simple headings. The curtain and the cross. The curtain and the cross. Firstly, then, the curtain. Now, to understand the the significance of this curtain that is torn in two, what we need to do is we need to go back to the Old Testament, and particularly to Old Testament worship. Now, There's so much that can be said about Old Testament worship. Studying it in any measure reveals such a a myriad, such a depth of detail, so much so that when we, we look at the intricacies of the expectations surrounding the worship of God in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament... There's a temptation, there's a a distinct temptation to conclude that much of what we read about Old Testament worship is completely irrelevant to us today. We might switch off. We find it difficult to uh, comprehend. Is it obsolete in places? Is it irrelevant? By no means, as our text this evening reveals to us. And so let's travel back. 3,500 years, we're going back to the era of the Exodus where we find the detail of the tabernacle, that place of the worship of the God of Israel. Now we don't have time to go into the, the detail of the tabernacle, that could take up a very interesting, I'm sure, sermon series in and of itself. But what I'd like us to do, if you have your Bibles, is to turn to Exodus 26, 31. And as we turn to Exodus 26, we're going to begin to pick up some of the detail that is relevant to our text this evening, relevant to the curtain. Exodus 26, 31. 
And then you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table. And you shall put the table on the north side. Now to us, this is a lot of detail of something that might sound fairly strange to us this evening. But what we have here is detail that was so central to who God's people were for such a long period of time. And within this detail, we have a description of the curtain. Depending what version of the Bible you use, it might be referred to, described as a veil. A veil or a a curtain. A a curtain that is found in the tabernacle of God. Moses. Now, when we think of the tabernacle of Moses, we might instantly think of a, a grand, big building. That's not what it was. The tabernacle of Moses, it was a portable place of worship. It was a portable place of worship that went with the children of Israel through their wilderness wandering. It was essentially a flat-pack place of worship that could be assembled and taken down as and when was necessary. Now, what did it look like? Well, imagine just this this church building, if those doors were open, a, a large rectangular courtyard that had within it, the courtyard, it, was, it almost had like a fence around it. And at one end of this large courtyard, what you had was the tabernacle, also known as the Tent of Meeting. The Tent of Meeting, the tabernacle itself, it wasn't very big. It was probably about 14 metres long, four and a half metres wide. And if you were to go into this tabernacle, this Tent of Meeting, what you would see is a curtain. If you went in, in front of you there, you would see a curtain, the curtain that we've just described. What was that curtain for? It was for separation. Because within the tabernacle, this curtain, it separated the most holy place from the ordinary place of worship. This was a room, the Holy of Holies as it was known. This was a a room that had within it the Ark of the Covenant. And of course we know that the Ark of the Covenant, it was that chest that, that housed amongst other things the law of God on tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. And in this room, in this most holy place that was separated by the curtain, this was the place that God would meet with his people. He would descend in a cloud. Now we might think, how wonderful. How wonderful for God to descend in such a visible manifestation amongst his people. Well, for Old Testament Israel, not really. Because this was a room that was completely out of bounds, so much so that that those in the main tabernacle, the main place of worship, they would never even dare to, to peer behind the veil, the curtain. Why? Because if they did, they would die. They would be struck dead. Because of their sin, because of the holiness of God, we thought about this this morning. We're on one side, a holy God is on the other side. We have that great gulf in between us that needs to be bridged because of that they simply could never come into the nearer presence of God apart from one exception and that was a high priest 
Yes, it's true that the Lord, he'd, he'd ordained all of these regular burnt offerings and sin offerings that we read of in the pages of, of the Old Testament as a, a means of atoning for the sins of Israel, for propitiating his wrath, for cleansing the people of their sin. But all of these rituals were not enough. And that's why we have what's known as the Day of Atonement. And so it was the, the job of the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement, to pass through this curtain, the veil, into the Holy of Holies. And what he would do is he would take with him the the blood of a freshly sacrificed animal, and then he would sprinkle the blood on the lid of the ark known as the mercy seat. Remember the mercy seat was covering the law. Christ is our mercy seat. And on either side of the mercy seat was a cherubim on either side looking in over the mercy seat. And we know why this was. Because the wages of sin is death. Something had to die as a result of our sins. And in the case of the Old Testament believers, symbolically, this was achieved through animal sacrifice. And so there was God in the cloud. There was the law of God in the Ark of the Covenant, which mankind had broken. God there, the law there. And in between God and the law was the blood sprinkled. But why did the priest not die, we might ask? And quite simply, it's because this is what the Lord had required. Now, as an aside, whether apocryphal or not, it's said that there was a long rope attached to the priest. So that if some reason he did die, I don't think there was ever any recorded instances of him dying. I could be corrected on that. But if he did die, he could be easily dragged out with this rope. This rope that would be left out in the main part of the tabernacle without anyone else having to go into the Holy of Holies to retrieve him. And this was the way. This was the way of God's people for over 1,500 years. Year after year after year, never really wanting to get close to God because of fear. The holiness of God preventing them from coming into his nearer presence and for them having to to live lives essentially that were saturated in perpetual ritual. That was, of course, bringing us to our second point until we come to Calvary, until we come to the cross. Because all that happened, we don't dismiss the Old Testament, far from it, But yet all that happened in the Old Testament was wholly inadequate, not only in dealing with the sins of the people, but also in allowing the people to have fellowship with their God. What do we read of in Hebrews 10? For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year Every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So all that happened in the tabernacle, it was a shadow It was a symbol of what was to come. It was pointing forwards toward the shedding of the blood of the sacrificial lamb of God that would cover the law, fulfill the law, whose blood would come in between sinners who have broken the law, coming in between you and me and God. And that was the testimony of the Old Testament believers. By faith, Important to realise that they lay hold of this, laid hold of this rather by faith. This was their reality. However much of it they truly understood, we can't be sure they understood more than I think we give them credit for. They laid hold of the reality of all that they were doing and the knowledge that one day it would be fulfilled 
by what would still be done on the cross. We look back to the cross. They looked forward to the cross, to the coming Messiah. And tonight as we look back, friends, we begin to make sense of this, the relevance of this curtain. And we do that from our text. What do we read in verse 37, rather 38? The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now this curtain wasn't any old curtain. The word veil maybe suggests that it was just a thin, uh, almost transparent, translucent rather, piece of material that was easily torn. It wasn't that at all. This was a curtain that was so strong, so thick, that Josephus, the historian at the time, he said that supposing you had a horse attached to either side of the curtain, and each horse went in an in opposite directions, if you like, the curtain still wouldn't tear. Yet now, here, at the crucifixion, it's torn. The curtain that had shielded the presence of God in the Holy of Holies from the eyes of sinful mankind, torn. Just picture the scene. It's 3 p.m. It's at the very beginning of the evening sacrifice. And the most holy of places is laid bare for all to see. You can just imagine the thoughts rushing through the minds of the worshippers as they catch a glimpse into that which they had never seen before, that which had been out of bounds. What's happening? We're still alive. Why is this? Because of those three words, it is finished. It is finished. You see, this curtain, it preached the sermon of all sermons. A sermon that spoke of greater things. That there was no need any longer for types or shadows or symbols. That many of the religious activities that were so ingrained in the Jewish people were now redundant. Why? Because the curtain was torn? No, not because of that. But rather, to get the real reason, we turn to Hebrews 10. It would be helpful for you to turn to Hebrews 10, 19, a text that ties all this together. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence To enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. I'll read that again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. That new and living way was opened. Why? Because the curtain of the flesh of Jesus was torn. Because the communion that God the Son had had with God the Father. It was torn. Because the dignity of a most holy God in the person of Jesus, taking him to himself the depravity, the darkness of humanity in this world, and then that of hell that should have belonged to you and to me if we're his tonight, was completely and utterly torn and ripped apart. And all so that new and living way would be opened up to you and to me that access to the holy of holies that you and I have tonight through the torn curtain that is the crucified Christ and of course one thing throughout all of this that was not torn that remained completely intact and still does tonight the love of Christ for his people A love that tore the curtain of separation through the cross of reconciliation. 
The curtain of the temple being torn in two, the, the veil of, of separation being opened up, the, the flesh of Jesus being opened up, allowing us to do what? To come boldly, to seek forgiveness, to seek his face, to seek his favour, to be recipients of living, direct communion with God through Christ, that great gulf bridged by our Saviour. Not once a year, through fear, through a priest offering the blood of a bull or a goat, but continually, and this is wonderful, continually and constantly through the great High Priest who is interceding on our behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our God. That's why we're here tonight, friends. And because of this, as his people, and this is how this is relevant to us tonight going forward, as his people, we have the greatest of resources at our disposal. Don't we feel downcast? Don't we feel despondent? In this world you will have tribulation. That is a promise. But fear not, I have overcome the world. We have the greatest of resources that is ours in Christ tonight. What do we read in Hebrews 4.16? Let us then, all because of this uh, flesh, the curtain of the flesh of Christ being torn into and all it symbolizes, let us then with confidence draw near, not afar, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What a a liberating promise this is for us tonight. Followed by that in James 15, uh, the, the old version talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availing much. The, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man having much power in its working. The power in prayer. The boldness that we have to come to God even tonight. Let's be honest, it's a hard slog, isn't it? Being a Christian is not easy. It's not, and were we to go round this room tonight, we would all have our own story to tell of how difficult it is to put sometimes one spiritual foot in front of another. It's hard. And sometimes, sometimes left to ourselves, we would just throw in the towel. But let's be thankful, friends. Let's be encouraged tonight, and we need encouragement. Let's be encouraged that we have empowerment from on high. Because the cross has torn the curtain. That we have opened to us that new and living way. Individually, in your own trials and temptations, come to him, plead to him. Collectively as a congregation at this juncture in your history, as you go forward, come to him. Pray to him. Seek his face to shine upon you. Seek his hand to lead you and guide you. Remember, friends, much prayer, much power. You cast your cares upon him, not as a cowering wreck before an angry God, scared of what he's going to do. But you come even tonight, and if you're not a Christian, this could be yours, if you want it. You come to him as a child before a loving Heavenly Father, in that new and living way, boldly casting your care on him, because he surely, friend, cares for you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for small details that speak wonderfully powerful truths even into our experience this night that we have the privilege of being able to come to you in a way such as this forgive us we pray for neglecting the throne of grace neglecting the place of prayer forgive us for all too often seeking resolutions 
in our own strength and with our own wisdom, when all the while all we need to do is to come humbly yet boldly and cry out to you as Father. And so we pray that for all of us, even here tonight, we might go forward with a renewed sense of this boldness, seeking to know what it is to be in that intimate communion with the one who died and gave himself for us. And if there are any here tonight who, as it were, still feel that they are out with the Holy of Holies, who still very much sense a a curtain in between them and God. O Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would throw aside this curtain, take the scales from their eyes, so that they too might see the wonder of who you are and what you've done. Be with us now in our final item of praise. We give thanks for our brother who leads us in this way, that all that we have done this evening, above all else, would be to the glory of your name, seeking now forgiveness for all our many sins. In the precious name of Christ. Amen. Well, friends, let's conclude. We're going to sing Psalm 116, the Sing Psalms version of Psalm 116, reading at the beginning of the psalm. A reminder to us of The fact that God listens. I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He listened when I cried to him for aid. I'll call on him as long as I shall live because he turned to me to hear me when I prayed. The cords of death gripped and entangled me. Upon me came the anguish of the grave. And sometimes that's the way we feel as the Lord's people. Even that we're just entangled with such darkness. With grief and trouble I was overcome. Then on the Lord God I called. Lord save. And sometimes that's all we have to say. Lord help me. And yet he hears. Let's stand to sing then verses 1 to 9. To the praise of our Lord.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit rest on and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>